This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Would you pray with me as we go to God's Word? Um, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak. Have your way. Lord, move in our hearts. Would you, um, would you stir us? Would you turn in us um, to see the glory of the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, please? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you were to have a, a, a hidden camera in my house, uh, there would be a few things um, that you would see about me that would be questionable. There would be some of you that um, uh, may start uh, looking for another church. I'm not sure. Um, but one of the things you'd see is that uh, right when I walk in the door after getting home from work that I'm mobbed by um, two very high-energy, excited kids, and they are ready to play. You'd then see me, um, depending on the day, put on either um, a, a costume, uh, either Batman or Robin, um, that are far too small for me, um, and... Or, or I just get to be the villain. They don't get a costume. Um, it's just, hey, Dad, I'm Batman. You're Mr. Freeze. Good luck. I win this every time type of thing, you know? Um, uh, you might also see me sit down to a very sophisticated um, tea with my daughter where we have cheese and crackers and very sophisticated conversation that you can only have with a three-year-old girl. Um, you would see me being a quote-unquote monster. I love this. My, my son says to me, Dad, be, be a monster. And so I'm like, no, I don't want to be a monster. I don't want to scare you. You know, and you got to do that with your boys because you know, he wants to be scared, but he wants you to do it on his terms, and you just can't do that. Um, and then my daughter says to me right after that, Dad, I want you to be a not monster, but I want you to be a happy monster. And so I, I mean, what do you do with that? I'm like, oh, I'm so happy monster, right? And so, like, if you were to look at me, there'd be some things that you would see me do, or you'd question my maturity, maybe, a a little bit, or at least um, you would have some questions. That's my guess. Christmas always used to haunt me. I always used to wonder, God, why would you leave all that? God, why would you step out of uh, the glory and splendor of worship of heaven, which you are rightly deserving of, and clothe yourself in human flesh and and, and being a little fragile, bobble-headed baby? God, why would you do that? One of the things that's helped me maybe understand the answer to that question just a little bit better is, is being a dad. Because really, why would I pretend like I'm Mr. Freeze or the Riddler? Why would I sit over um, pretend tea set with water in it, not tea, with my pinky out teaching my daughter how to drink tea right? (laughs) And something started to click in me as I played with my kids, (laughs) Something started to click in me that, that all of this sort of, this, this craziness that we enter into as parents, we do it because we love our kids. 
And we know that it feeds their soul. We know that it sets a foundation for them that they'll grow on for the rest of their life, that mommy and daddy love you, that they care about you. It communicates something to them. You know what? The incarnation of God's God's coming, that word incarnation simply means clothed in flesh. That God's coming to earth that we celebrate in Christmas communicates something to you. It should. And maybe we've heard the story way too many times that we no longer really hear it anymore. But here's what the story communicates to us. Is that God is willing to come down on our level to be known by us, which is absolutely crazy, and to be not only known by us, but to know us as well. I mean, this is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. It's that God empties himself of all the glory of heaven, the worship that goes along with it, and he steps into humanity. He gives something up in order to give us a lavish, undeserved, unbelievable gift that I hope maybe during this Christmas season you'll receive in a little bit different, more meaningful way. If you have a Bible, will you open to John chapter 1 with me? Over the last few weeks in our Advent series, we've been exploring uh, the very first part of John's gospel. Um, It's really the nativity scene. It's the, the Christmas story from a little bit of a different viewpoint. It's the Christmas story from heaven's viewpoint. It doesn't make for a great children's play, but it makes for some unbelievable truth about who God is and what he's done on our behalf. John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 9. Just by way of review, last week we, uh, we saw that Jesus is the creator God and that the creator God is still present here with us today. And that therefore, if the creator God is here and present, we should expect that he's still creating on the canvas of our lives. Well, here's where John continues, verse 9. He says, the true light, speaking of Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means tabernacled. And so what Jesus, or what John just told us about Jesus is that he is the eternal word of God clothed in human flesh. And he comes, and as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, he moves into the neighborhood, So if you're new with us and wondering why we have a tent on stage, that's why. It's the picture that John paints, that Jesus dwells, that he pitched his tent and he set up shop right in your neighborhood and in mine. Well, the question is, why would he do it? Why would he do that? Why would he clothe himself in flesh and move into the neighborhood? Well, John sort of told us back in this passage, here's what he said. 
To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is is about a baby, but it's more than just one baby. Christmas is about children. You and me. You see, here's the truth of the matter. The big idea for our time together this morning is this, is that God became a child, and the reason he did that was so that you and I might become children of God. That's the great, unbelievable truth that John tells us in the first chapter of his account of Jesus' life. He came, he clothes himself in flesh that he might offer you a present, that he might hold it out and say to you, and regardless of what situation you find yourself in or how far away from God you might be this morning, he says, listen, I have an offer for you that's not based on your own merit, not based on your own achievement, but that's based purely and wholly on the pursuit of God. I'm coming after you. The offer of Christmas is, would you want to become a child of God? See, here's how I know you've been around this story a long time. You didn't go, wow, wow, a child, me, a child of God. Here's the way that John puts it in a letter that he writes. He says this, see what kind of love, so he gives us motivation for incarnation and for him adopting us and inviting us into his family as children. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the what? Children of God that we should be called the children of God. And he goes, and that is what we are. I think the NIV puts an exclamation point. I like that. And that's what we are. I mean, have you ever looked at a parent and the way that they view their kids? I mean, I think of my youngest son, Reed. He is 10 months now, 10 months now. And even when he needs a diaper change, and even when he's difficult, and even when he totally screws up the plan that I have for my day, even when there's this, still this look of, God, I can't believe that he's mine, and you're good in that. Did you know that God looks at you the same way? Did you know that he looks at you the same way? Even on, your, even on your worst day, on your way, worst day, maybe it's, I can't believe he's mine. <laughs> but there's still that relational connection. There's still that, that ownership, that, that shock where he goes, yeah, Ryan Paulson. And you see, I think, I don't think that God reverse engineered that. I don't think that Jesus came on the scene or that he wanted to tell us what the gospel would be like. And so he goes, listen, uh, maybe I could use, well, a family relationship to tell of what my love is like. No, 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 no. He designed family relationship to point to the glory of the goodness of his gospel. It was always his original intent was that we would look at our parents and go, wow, aren't they great? And he would say, yeah, and I'm your real father, your true father. And we go, aren't you great and aren't you amazing? You see, he wires into the DNA of humanity the beauty and the glory of the gospel. But you see, embedded within John's statement is a little bit of bad news. He says, all who, receive, who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. Which means, 
which means by logical sort of deduction that there's some who aren't children of God. And there's a time when we weren't children of God. If we need to become children of God, there's a time when we weren't. Well, the Bible uses this picture of adoption. It says that you and I were adopted into his family. You may have never thought about this before, but I think John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, tell you that Christmas is not only about the incarnation and God's coming and his pursuit about you, but Christmas is also about adoption. Yours and mine. If you have uh, your Bible, will you hold it in John, hold a place in John chapter one. We're going to come back there, but I want us to feel the glory and the weight and the beauty of this invitation of becoming children of God that the Bible talks about. So if you have a Bible, turn over to Galatians chapter four, and in it, we're going to sense a little bit of the weight and the beauty of what God invites us to as he calls us his children. Listen to what Paul writes uh, to the churches at Galatia. He says this, but when the fullness of time had come, now I promise I won't do this after every few words, but just really briefly, he's saying that, um, that history was pointing up to this moment on this day in this culture with these people and that God had intricately and intentionally designed it and woven it to be this moment in time. The political scene was exactly right. The social scene was exactly right. The family scene was exactly right for God to do what he was going to do. And when the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that now, now that's a, those are two massive words in this passage because what Paul's going to do here is he's going to tell you why God was born as a baby, clothed in human flesh, at the time when he was born. Listen to what he says. So that we might receive the adoption as his sons and his daughters. See, I don't know if you knew this, but Christmas is about adoption, It's about being invited into a family. It's not just about a child who was born. It's about children who are born, reborn into a new kingdom with a new father. Well, let me just briefly, as briefly as I can, unpack what Paul says about the glory of our adoption through Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He says this, that when the time was full, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. And that's a a weighty word. It simply means to buy back, to buy back. Now, how do you know how much something is worth? If you were to put your house on the market, how do you know how much it's worth? Well, it's worth however much someone will pay for it. Right? I mean, it's, it's worth what somebody will give you in exchange for that. And God says, I sent my son in order to redeem you. 
You, whoever you are, sitting right there in that chair right now today, December 22nd, 2013, he said, I sent my son to redeem you. So here's the first thing we see about our adoption. It affirms our great inherent worth as God's children. If he goes, hey, I'm willing to give up my son for you, there's great worth there, friend. And some of us wrestle with this. If we don't believe it, we have to try to earn it and we have to try to achieve it on our own. And what God says is, I want the freedom for you that comes from simply resting in and believing the fact that you're valuable to me. Heaven knows it, and I think they're shocked at how valuable you are. At least they're shocked at how valuable I am. They're going, Paulson, really? He says this, he goes on, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might be, receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, Paul says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's this word, this intimate word, this relational word that, that simply means daddy. It's a very informal way for Paul to write, and that's the point is that God isn't all that interested in a formal relationship with you. He's interested in really knowing you, not at your best, not just at your worst, but just everything in between, just knowing you. You see, your adoption as a son or daughter of the king is an invitation into intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Do you know when God looks at you, he goes, there's not no one quite like that person. Sometimes he may go, there's no one quite like them. But other times he goes, there's no one quite like. This is the part, I think, this intimacy, this, his sinking of his Holy Spirit down into our souls that cries out and affirms, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. I think that's the thing that carries followers of Jesus through the darkest days of life. Is it's that resonating, thundering voice in our soul that regardless of how dark the day gets, we're still your children. And you still love us. And you haven't left us. And you're for us. He goes on to say in verse 7, listen to this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Do you know adoption, your adoption, invitation into the family of God purchases your freedom? See, slaves, he uses this in contrast. Not, not, no longer slaves, but now children. Slaves have a very confined, limited view of what their future might be like. Children have all chains removed and are released to fly as high as they can. And that's what God says about you and me. Hey, I've, I've broken the chains and I've invited you. Live in the freedom I've given you. Live in the freedom I've given you. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son or a daughter of the king. The king. And he says, all right, I'm just going to keep going. I love Paul. He's like, not a slave, but now a son. And he goes, he goes, that's awesome. I'm sure the Galatian church was like, oh, yeah, awesome. He's like, hey, just calm down, settle down. I got more. And not just a son, but an heir. 
not just a son, but an heir. I read this story a few weeks ago of um, these two gentlemen. Um, their names are, and forgive me if I butcher this, when I butcher this, um, Zelot and Ge- Geza Pilati. Uh, there were these two brothers, these two brothers that didn't have a penny to their name. In fact, they lived in this cave outside of Budapest. They didn't know it, but they had this very detached grandma, a relationally detached grandma in Germany who was um, uh, extremely wealthy, a billionaire. And when she passed away, uh, they were her next of kin. She left them at all. So, so they're living in a cave. The charity worker comes to contact them and says, um, hey, uh, you got a little cash to your name now. Seven billion dollars. <laughs> See, and I hear that and I go, no way. That's unreal. Like, let's go look through the family tree. Are we sure? <laughs> Don't get, no, nothing. Okay. And I think God looks at that and goes, oh, yeah, you think that's great? <laughs> I call you heirs. Co-heirs with Christ, the book of Romans says. So not only are you not a slave, but you're a son. And not only are you not, a, not just a son, but you're an heir. See, see, here's the thing. You have some great presents under your tree, I'm sure. But this is the greatest gift you're ever going to receive. This is the greatest gift you're ever going to receive. We'll, we'll flip back to John chapter 1, because I want to unpack this gift for us. Uh, in the remaining time that we have. What does this gift look like? What does it mean? And what are some of the intricacies that surround it? I'm glad you asked those questions. Verse nine, here's what John writes about Jesus. True light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Because listen, The very creator stepped into his creation, and his creation stepped right by him. They just, they missed him. A few years ago, Kelly's grandma gave me uh, a book for Christmas. Um, She gives us books often, and she works at the used bookstore. um, And some of the books are better than others. This was one of um, the others, (laughs) And so I, you know, I look through it and I'm like, oh, you know, isn't that great? And, um, you know, where's the Goodwill box? Thank you, Graham. You know, so grateful. I appreciate it. And so we um, gave it away. And she says to me about four months later, Ryan, I noticed that you still haven't cashed the check that was in the book. I'm like, well, Graham, I know you're sort of hard. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, well, what, do you, what check do you mean? And she said, well, there was that book I gave you for Christmas. I'm like, I loved it. And she's like, right. Because um, there was a, a check in between a few of the pages for $50. I said, well, I'm here now. You could rewrite. You see, here's the thing. I think uh, John paints a similar picture for us, a similar picture for us. He says, you can't, just, you can't just view the check. 
You can't just view the person of Jesus. You can't just um, agree with what he says, but he invites us to something way deeper than that. He says, to those who believed in his name. And here's the point that I think he makes is this gift, this best gift that you will ever receive must be received and not just received, but believed, assimilated into the very core of who we are. The gift must be received and assimilated. See, he goes on to verse, in verse 12 to say this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, believed in his name. See, this word, I think, has been um, diluted in our day and time. And we, we have this thought that the word believe means simply, I agree with. It doesn't simply mean, I agree with. It means I trust or I rely on or I'm going to put the full weight of who I am right there. And he says, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Will you look up at me for just a second? I think a lot of people, we get, we get Christianity wrong. We think that Christianity is about being a follower of Jesus is about a moral ascent. And we get, we get better and better and better and do more and do more and do more and try harder and harder and harder. And we sin less and we sort of climb this ladder. That's sort of what we think of when we think of Christianity. What John tells us is that Christianity is joyfully, graciously accepting, receiving a free gift. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's simply someone who has received this free gift that God holds out to humanity. And if we don't receive it, he says, and there's some that didn't, and I think it's not too hard for us to recognize and see there's some who still don't. To those who received, he said, they are the children of God. Can I tell you really quick? I love that John intentionally uses this word, received. It's as though he's trying to say, God is holding this out to you. Open-handed. Not those who fought for redemption. Not those who created a diversion and God looked the other direction and snuck in the back door. Not those who tried really hard and were able to achieve. No, 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 he says. And those who receive as though God wanted them to, as though God was the one offering, as though God was the one initiating, as though God was the one pursuing. Will you take my gift? Will you receive my gift? I love you. I'm for you. My invitation is become a child. I want to adopt you. I want to redeem you because you're of great worth to me. I want to invite you into intimacy with me. I want your freedom and I want your joy as you walk with me and I have a great inheritance waiting for you. As though he's the one going, here's the gift. Here's the gift. Will you receive it? I love the way that the great pastor Eugene Peterson puts it when he says this. Receive is a freedom word. Take is not. To receive, to receive is to accept what God provides for us. To take is to plunder whatever is not nailed down. To receive is what children do in a family. To take is what pirates do on the high seas. 
says, God has offered. The question is, will you receive? I spent some time this week wrestling with this idea because the question is, will you receive? And the uh, next question is, well, why not? Why wouldn't you receive? Um, here's what John says about why people don't receive. John chapter 3, verse 19 reads like this. And this is the judgment. The light, talking about Jesus, has come into the world. He's talking about himself here. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And he said the reason that some people don't see him, the reason he walked by some was because they were holding on so tight to their way of life, to their thought about how to do things in their life, to to their sin. They were so deep within it that they just weren't able to let it go and receive. See, because implicit within receiving is letting go of whatever we're currently holding on to, isn't it? And that's the scary part about being a follower of Jesus, is it's not Jesus plus whatever else I have. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's simply following after him in his pursuit of us. Our response is, God, I'll receive what you bring. The light is both terrifying and beautiful. The light that he shines is both terrifying and beautiful. Let me show it to you as we go on in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father. And then he describes Jesus for us, full of grace and truth. He writes, John bore witness to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. It's talking once again about the preeminence of Jesus. And he says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus, full of grace and truth. See, here's what I think John would have us hear about this, is that this gift, this offer that's held out to you and to me, both exposes our need, so it shines a light on those things that we sometimes don't want a light shown on, our, our depravity, our hopelessness apart from Jesus, our sin, um, the way that we're caught in that, and it shines a light on that, and it also shines a light on God's solution to humanity's problem. Well, let's take a moment to define these terms, grace and truth. If Jesus is full of these, what does that mean? Well, grace is God's undeserved, unending, loving kindness and favor to people like you and me. Undeserved. Undeserved. So, so, so right, we can check our resumes at the door, Right? I mean, this isn't an exclusive club. It's an open invitation to anybody who would say, I'm in desperate need of grace. See, grace tells us that there's no sin too big for God to not forgive. That's what grace tells us. Nothing, God's not out there going, whoa, Paulson, now you've really pushed the limit. 
And on the other hand, um, truth simply means that which conforms to reality. And the reality is, is that a rescue mission was only needed because we were a people in need of rescue. So it both exposes our need and it provides God's solution. While grace says there's no sin too big, truth says there's no sin too small for me to not point out so that you will walk in fullness of life. And throughout history, throughout uh, church and, and everything like that, we've seen these two pendulums swing. Right, we've seen the, the grace pendulum swing, and, and so um, there's no need for discipleship. There's no need for learning what it means to follow Jesus because his grace covers all. Now, now here's the thing. Ironically, I, that's true, but when we really believe his grace covers all, it transforms us to be more into the image of Christ, not less. Not less. So I don't think we can take grace too far. We can misunderstand grace, and then it doesn't go anywhere. But a true understanding of grace... I don't think you can take it too far. But, but So this pendulum swings to, let's just talk about grace, but let's not talk about our need for grace, to um, let's only talk about truth. Here's the two places that usually ends up. Either people who understand truth and know they can't attain it and end up walking in guilt and shame, or people that think they do attain it and it leads to legalism. What I love about John is he doesn't say, hey, Jesus was like 50-50, perfectly split. He was, he was like 50% grace and 50% truth. No. He says he was full. Full of grace and truth. That truth part is hard for us, though, isn't it? I mean, where Jesus says to us, I needed to leave the worship of heaven to be clothed as a little baby because you were a people in desperate need. There's an offense to that, isn't there? We go, I don't, God, I don't know if I want to do that. And you're like, Ryan, thank you. Merry Christmas to you too. Hey, Christmas isn't just about a baby being born. It's about children being born through the rescue mission of the almighty God because you and I were people in desperate need. It's getting towards the end of the semester, and so Kelly, my wife Kelly, who um, teaches uh, high school English part-time at Mountain Vista High School, she starts getting these emails from students who are like, um, all of a sudden just aware that there's a grade that's coming. <laughs> so uh, usually, uh, hi, Ms. Paulson, I was just wondering if there's anything I can do to bring up my grade. And I'm always like, oh, please, 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 will you just, will you write? Um, yeah, there is. You could um, go find a DeLorean and you could build a time machine, and you could go back in time and actually do the work. <laughs> She's a nice, good teacher, and so she hasn't done that yet, but I think they're pushing her closer, so I'm going to keep throwing it out there. Uh, but there's nothing you could do. Sorry, it's the end of the semester, and you did what you did, and you get what you earned. I think God says the same thing to us, you know. You did what you did. Sin earned you what it earned you. But my grace provides you something that's way better than you deserved. See, without the truth of our need, his grace upon grace that it talks about really doesn't have the impact that it has. But when his truth of our need and his provision collide in the human soul, 
it explodes with worship. The declaration, God, I'm, I'm breathing in your grace, and when I do that, I'm breathing out your praise because you are unbelievably good, better than I deserved. Grace upon grace, as verse 16 of John chapter 1 says, that from his fullness, what trickles down from the throne of God and overflows into humanity is grace upon grace. He goes, there's no one that's too far gone. I will save and I will redeem any who come to me, Jesus, and receive the gift. So for those who think you are, just a little bit too far. Paul sort of preemptively answers your question. He says, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, that may be where you're living today. Sin has increased and it's just out of control and you feel like you have absolutely no hope. Here's what Jesus would say to us where sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. He says, you can't out-sin my grace. I just want you to hear, there's a connection between your understanding of God's grace and your ability to appreciate his presence with you. Look at the way that the angel says it to Mary. He says, and he came to her, the angel, and said, greetings, O favored one. That's one uh, of whom grace has landed on. <laughs> Same Greek word. The Lord is May I suggest that one of the reasons it's hard for you and I to sense and to know and to appreciate God's presence with us is because we aren't convinced of his grace towards us. See, as long as we're trying to earn the free gift that he's given, we'll never stop to appreciate it. As long as we're convinced that God is mad at us, we'll never walk in the freedom and joy of knowing him, we'll walk in guilt and shame. And if we're convinced that God doesn't want to be near us because of whatever, fill in the blank, we have no reason to really trust that he's present. And so John says, yeah, he dwells, and when he dwells, he dwells full of grace and truth. Grace upon grace. Why? Well, became a child that you and I might become children of God. That's why. Close here, verse 17. And the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now see, the law was truth, but it was only truth. It was, this is the standard of God. And he holds you to it. He said, that's what came through Moses, and that was good. But humanity can't live up to, didn't live up to that standard. And he says, that truth came through Moses, but grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, transformation only happens when we understand God's standard and that we can't meet it and that he met it on our behalf and then gave us his loving kindness and favor towards us in spite of our failure. And he says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side. And he says, he, Jesus, has made him, God the Father, known. That's crazy. See, here's the deal. If you were to take a little hidden camera 
and set it up inside of my house, you'd see some things that made you go, it's interesting, Paulson. A little strange. I'm going to forgive you on that because we love you, but wow. If you were to set up a hidden camera inside the throne room of heaven, he says, what you'd see is Jesus. He makes him know. He says, he, he, everything that God is, Jesus puts on display for humanity to go, I can't believe that you are that good. I can't believe that you are that glorious, full of grace and full of truth. God says, hey, if you want to know what I'm like, look at Jesus. If you want to know the way I love you, look at Jesus. If you want to know the way I forgive you, look at Jesus if you want to know what my character is and what my heart is, look at Jesus. You see, I think the last thing that John would say to us in this little prologue is that his gift, the gift of God becoming a child that we might become children of God reveals the heart and the character of our almighty Father. Beautiful, isn't it? that he would say to you and I, this is what God's like, which, which sort of, just a side note, and I know I don't have time for side notes, but this is an important one, so just give me a little bit of grace, grace upon grace, maybe. Um, here, here's what that means. If Jesus displays God for us, then that means that, that all paths can't lead to God. All paths can't lead to God. If, if he says, hey, I'm the one putting God, capital G, on display. Not one of the displays of God, but this is who God is. All paths can't lead to him. It's only the truth and grace that's found in Jesus that puts capital G, God, on display. And he says, this gift is open to all who would wrestle it out of God's hand. Oh, no, that's not God. This gift is given to all who would receive the offer that God holds out. The offer to be adopted as his children. See, he became a child so that we might become children of God. And friend, that is what you are. Uh, my good friends, um, Nate and Megan, Megan's here with us this morning, um, a few years ago, adopted a son from um, Serbia. And as we talk about um, Christmas being about adoption, uh, I wanted you to hear their story uh, because I think it's a beautiful picture <laughs> of what's on the pages of scripture in John chapter one. Will you guys roll that video? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.